You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to Flipping Tables, episode 79. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm your other host, Michael Edwards. And uh, it sounds like, Mike, you want to tell me about how you had a successful Windows 10 experience, ultimately, (laughs) but kind of a rocky... Yeah, so I want to flip a table about Microsoft's business model leading to bad customer experiences. So I get it. Their whole life is selling software licenses and so protecting the sale of Windows licenses is kind of built into the, how their, their upgrades work, and I hate it, and it's annoying because um, I'm not pirating Windows, and the people that do want to pirate Windows are successfully doing that just fine. Um, okay, so here's the deal. I, I just wanted to take advantage of the first year you, get, you can upgrade to Windows 10 for free, which is cool. That's awesome, except you have to upgrade from an existing Windows installation um, Unless yeah, you have you, like a, you can't do a fresh install to Windows 10, right? Which is basically what I do because I didn't currently have a Windows installation, and so I'm like, all right, all right, well, I'll, I'll just uh, install Windows 7 real quick and then just do an upgrade. Um, that didn't work because my copy of Windows 7 is a university cheapy ten dollar version, <laughs> and that's a volume license which they don't let you upgrade from, so that sucks. So, well, I have a copy of Windows 8 around. I couldn't have started from that, though, because it's a Windows 8 upgrade copy. So I couldn't have up, you know, just installed that in the first place. Because <laughs> same problem. It has to start from an existing Windows installation. Um, there are ways around it, but I just didn't have the energy to <laughs> through <laughs> registry hacks to get it to do it. Microsoft, you make me tired. So I had to install Windows 7 and then upgrade to Windows 8, and then it didn't see me as a volume license. It's like, oh, this guy's good. He's on like his own version of Windows 8. <laughs> and then I could download the, the straight ISO from Windows 10, and it would let me upgrade. And at long last, I'm on Windows 10, and yeah, it's, it's Windows. <laughs> <laughs> so was this in a virtual machine, or was this in uh, like a full PC install? This is a boot camp, so it's a separate partition, full installation on my iMac. Okay. So I'm wondering, because the the version of Windows 7 I have on the machine that I tried that failed, it is a, uh, a university, not a, a university license, but it's like a when you buy Windows as a student, you get like a super discount. So I wonder, did you get a specific error that said like, hey, buddy, this is volume licensing? No, I did not get a helpful error whatsoever. So I was just speculating that because mine was a volume license, that's why it wasn't letting me upgrade it. Hmm. But no, there was no helpful error. That was just information I read about and was like, oh, that's probably doing it. So now you've got me curious because that is the same general kind of place my windows 7 installation is starting from so do i want to go through this crazy voodoo i don't even know <laughs> if i have a windows 8 license laying around so well, you can use mine because <laughs> i'm not currently using my windows 8 license if you just need it as a stepping stone <laughs> go for it uh, i might i don't know maybe if i catch myself incredibly bored and with no books or television <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I really I'm at a, a weird place with Windows 10 because I want like the techie part of me is like, yeah, I should have the latest thing. And then the logical part of me is like, dude, it's a media server. Who the hell cares what it's running? If you can get media on and off of it, it is functioning at expectations. Yeah. So again, the, their business model of being so concerned about software licenses is why the situation is this way. But I, I really enjoy, you know, whether it's you know Ubuntu or even OS ten, where that since they aren't trying to make money off the software upgrade, it's as pretty much as easy as possible. You can quickly make a USB installer and go to town. So you still follow the Johnny Ive parody Twitter account? Yeah. So every time he tweets something about uh, like the laughing Tim Cook picture or whatever, and it's it's uh, something about like Microsoft charging for Windows, and it's like, and then they charge for upgrades, ha ah, <laughs> ha like that kind of thing. There's I can't help it. There's just there's that like well actually part of me that just wants to jump in and be like, hey. They don't make money on the hardware. And then I have to remember, like, you you asked. That's exactly what he wants. He wants stupid <laughs> people to not realize it's a parody and then at reply him with stupid well actuallys. And it's like, even though I know full well it's a parody, every once in a while I still catch myself being like, but they don't make money off the hardware. Still, that doesn't justify, like, a user-hostile install process, but I understand why they're so far to the opposite extreme, even if I don't like it. Yeah. So, so I, I thought about putting this single purpose before, button. Th- oh, you have, <laughs> you have something you gotta, you gotta scoop me. <laughs> I, I thought we could try to patch our friend in who was going to be a correspondent for Gamescom. Oh, he's, you want, uh, you he's try writing us. You want to so see you, if technology is, is functioning that way? Yeah. Yeah. Listener, we tried to do this earlier and it failed miserably and this will all disappear <laughs> if this doesn't work. But <laughs> yeah, I'm making a timestamp now. Try to bring our friend into the show. Should we turn cameras off? I don't know. <laughs> Hello? Oh, God. No. <laughs> I'm turning cameras off. Hello? Matt? No. David? Oh, man. I'm here. Okay. Matt, are you there? man that sounds bad (laughs) it just needs to be good enough for conversation but I don't think we're at that (laughs) I don't think we are hello (laughs) (laughs) oh man this is capital Skyping right now is truly excellent Skypery. I thought but, Europe was like doing well with internet. 
it says he's coming back. He needs like a a QoS like setting for this game. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) we generated an edit point for you. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I hung Uh, up on him. Yeah, I'm gonna. All right, I'm gonna. um... I'm gonna just try and start talking about this button thing, and then. See if I can stitch it together cleanly. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, there we go. Ready? All right. So I thought about putting this uh, this button thing in follow-up because we had talked about the flick and we've, you know, we we talked with Justin of Pseudo Show fame about the, the high five savings button. Um, but this is actually kind of an interesting idea. So I made it a, a whole honest to God topic of its own. Did you get a chance to look at this, which it's got a terrible name. I have no idea how they expect you to pronounce it. S A E N T Saint, Satan, Saint, Saint, Sound, Caesar, Kaiser. It looks like something from Wally. Yeah, it does. It totally looks like they just cut off the top of Eve's head. So, so this button, the whole point of it is that it mutes uh, distracting things like Twitter and email and Facebook and, I don't know, whatever like dumb crap you have installed locally. So you're sitting at your desk and you have the thought we all have throughout the day, I'm going to stop being an irresponsible lump and get work done now. And you slap the button. I assume it's – I hope it's durable because I would like smack the hell out of it. I would never just tap it. <laughs> Right, so you slap the button, and then it 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 does smart things and turns off your your time wasting stuff, and then you get real work done. So that's all right, whatever. But <laughs> but what's interesting is the the people that are are trying to make this. So it's an Indiegogo project, and they're actually they look like they're probably gonna succeed. They've already got thirty six grand. They're asking for fifty, but they have twenty seven days left. So. They're they're probably going to succeed, um, but what's interesting is that it's tied to software that actually works independent of the button. So the button is there for like the tactile satisfaction of like time to get work done, and you slap it, and then you <laughs> feel cool. Um, but the software is really like the main event because it 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 is supposedly intelligently silencing notifications. So. If your boss emails you, like that'll still come through, but if you get like a spam, that won't. And I wonder one, how well can this kind of thing possibly work? And two, I feel like this is starting to happen at multiple points in the chain. Like inbox also doesn't notify me for every single email I get. So now like are these two things gonna stack and it's gonna be like uh like a a resonance frequency where now I just get no notifications because they're arguing with each other. Yeah. Too, too many gates in between the world and you. And I also just like how many, sort of like the search for the best minimalist text editor or like, (laughs) you know, all these things that people sit and obsess over instead of doing the thing they actually say they want to do. Um, how many, how, how much are we going to externalize our actual internal ethic, work ethic problems? Yeah, and you know, I I hate to say this, but as someone who is firmly in the middle between super go-getters who don't need any special trickanery and 
the people who are just constantly like more self-help books and more seminars and more like motivational posters and all that kind of stuff. I, I sympathize with people who want to make an environment more conducive to work, but I also sympathize with people like you who are just like, yeah, I needed to get work done. So I got work done because work was the thing I needed to get done. Like that's, <laughs> I mean, I, I have this, this like admiring frustration with Susan all the time because she'll be like dog tired and in a terrible mood and like the whole world is working against her. But if something needs to be done, she just does it. Like she, she has, she's very pragmatic about the universe. I I know how to procrastinate like no one, nobody's business, but um, I, I don't know. Like I, that's a new form of procrastination is finding all these time saving get work done tools because you're you feel like you're working you're like well i'm not ignoring that i'm wasting time not working <laughs> but you're still not working and um i i feel like recently i've gotten better and better at just being like no just start working <laughs> like <laughs> stop searching for tools to help you work like this is not reflection time later is reflection time right now is work time and then you can go like oh well you know this shortcut or that process may help me next time but um not before you do anything <laughs> well and this is kind of like the productivity porn we talked about with like i've been working on getting things done and how people say you know, this journal or this system or this, you know, I'm going to do the calendar method where, you know, from Seinfeld where I do an X through every day <laughs> that I do like all of these different things. It's not that none of them work or all of them work or about which one is the best, but all of them are potentially distractions from actually doing the thing because you're just thinking about doing the thing and how as soon as this arbitrary task that has no completed condition is done, then you're going to do the work. I mean, I, I feel very like Merlin Manny right now, but it's kind of <laughs> just like, or you could just do the work and then it'll be done. I am a little interested that this button apparently involves this learning software. So it apparently you can tell it like, oh, no, that email that came in while I was in like button work mode, that like person you should have let through or that's like a friendly contact that, you know, they're my buddy, but they're not that important. They can wait. And it like tracks statistics. So this is all kind of tied to the, the Pompadouro technique of like 25 minute uh, bursts or sprints and then five minutes of like gear change or, or rest time, depending on what you're doing. And it's, I like that it says right on the Indiegogo uh, page, backed by science. Oh, <laughs> well, if science is involved. Is that an appeal to authority of science as a <laughs> generic concept? Uh, if there's no more to it than this little blurb, then totally. Yeah, it's totally an appeal to authority. But this, I mean, I could believe something like this if the software is very, very smart could be useful and here's why because if you have like the twitter app installed and you have email open and you have a calendar app that's running and slack is open and, and all these different things that can potentially notify you it would be a tremendous pain in the ass to be like okay i just want to put my head down and now i don't want to like be bothered by anyone so instead of 
going into each of those things and muting them or closing each one and being completely cut off, you have the smart software and you slap the button and then it like does the, the robot work of muting things for you. So, I mean, maybe, I don't know. It's an interesting idea. It is $75 though. So, oh, that's for two. Okay. So it's it's 35 bucks. Well, and, I mean, to that point, I mean, OS X has a do not disturb mode that will kind of be a single place of cutting off notifications. But I, yeah, it doesn't do your other devices, but it's at least if you're presumably you just put your phone away and your watch knows to shut the hell up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is the exact issue is this promise of we'll only let the important things through. It's like, well... <laughs> That's a really subjective and difficult task. And I'm not saying it's an insurmountable task, but it's a really subjective and difficult task. So there's a difference between I closed my chat client and only the important things are notifying me. It's one of the things I kind of like about Slack is like I'm in a bunch of channels at, at my day job that I have completely muted. So I can just pop in and like ask a question and someone can at reply, you know, at my name and I'll get a notification that they answered me, but all of the other chit chat that's constantly going on in those channels, I don't need to know about that. I don't need to know anything about any of that. Yeah. You stepped into the break room and you interrupted your coworkers who were talking about something stupid they did over the weekend. (laughs) You said, Hey, is there any more coffee? And they go, Oh yeah. And then you leave and you're done. Yeah. Exactly. Hear anything else. So I think it works well with Slack because Slack understands what Slack is and Slack can have notification settings for Slack because Slack is Slack. But with with the the Satan button, I'm just going to pretend that's how it's pronounced until someone corrects me. <laughs> with the Satan button, you are expecting their software to know how Twitter works and how your email works and how your calendar works and how all these other things work. And again, it's not an insurmountable task. It's just it probably requires a lot of tweaking to get it just right. And if you spend a lot of time tweaking it, you're not working. You're playing with your productivity software. (laughs) It's just a temptation of any tech person because part of what makes you tick is you love seeing new gadgets and new things and like, how does that work? I want to play with it. And it's just about recognizing when you're in tinker mode and when you're in, I need to get this done. It's not time to investigate new options. Yeah, I would actually, I think I would be more interested in quickly globally muting my phone because I use web stuff for basically everything. Pretty much the only native clients I use are on my mobile device, which means all I have to do to make Gmail leave me alone is to close the Gmail tab. I don't get desktop notifications for Gmail. You know where I get them? On my phone. You know where they go after that? My wrist. There there has to be a do not disturb button on Android, can't you? No, there totally is. But I'm just saying it's the same kind of like, well, I got to reach over there and grab my phone and then <laughs> switch. And it's the, the there's something very visceral about like the time to work button. Like I would I know exactly where I'd put it if I had one, too, because my desk is in a corner. I'd put it right up here so that I could smack it from sitting height or standing height because my desk goes up and down because I'm fancy. <laughs> And I would just <laughs> slap the hell out of it whenever I was like, time to work, slap the button. <laughs> but I don't know, you know, 30 bucks isn't that. It's not unreasonable for hardware and software together. I would just play, rig the button to like play some really inspiring music like for 10 seconds or five <laughs> seconds. Just 
<laughs> like know, every time from, you hit it, it's chariots of fire or something from Rocky. <laughs> uh, did they use chariots of fire in Rocky? Eye of the Tiger. I don't know something. Well, they definitely used Eye of the Tiger. But yeah. Anyway, tell me about this creepy car snake thing. Car snake charger so, creepy thing. <laughs> so Elon Musk had said he was working on a something for your garage that would uh, charge your electronic car that we're all going to own someday. And uh, apparently this thing was shown off and unveiled. And uh, this thing is pretty hilarious looking. So it, it's just... It almost looks like something from one of the Iron Man movies, one of the little like helper robots that's always like... Oh, yeah, like one of the little Jarvis arms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, basically, it uh, <laughs> it can bend and articulate. It's like an elephant trunk, kind of. And uh, But there's like all these segmented pieces of metal so that it can articulate in, in different ways. And uh, <laughs> they show it um, animating into the gas tank so that it can... Not gas tank, do the the charging charging port and uh i don't know this article is kind of trying to stretch a joke a bit too far but it's just showing it in increasing zooms of this <laughs> battery arm charger plugging into the car automatically and uh I, I don't think it's freaky it's it's really cool but it's just funny to see it animated over and over in this way <laughs> well and it's okay so you're a star trek fan are you familiar with the movie First Contact? Eh. Eh? Okay, so you're an eh. I, I saw it, okay. but I don't remember so, it. So at the very end, spoiler alert for this like 15-year-old movie. Um, uh, so at the end, the Borg Queen like has all of her flesh liquefied off, and then she just has like a Terminator skull left over with like a little Terminator spine, and Picard takes it and does a very cheesy like action hero like... Grah! and and he like snaps the spine and all the little red lights turn off and that's like the moment of finality right um the second i saw this i was like oh it's the borg queen <laughs> like there's no head <laughs> part but then the the articulating bits look exactly like vertebrae to me like yeah, this looks, it looks like, like a like, creepy spine it looks kind of like one of dr robot or not robotnik dr <laughs> octopus's arms i well i could see why you would be leaning toward Robotnik when you're looking at this. <laughs> I do. So in this whole article, the very last gif where it just goes down and then like goes back up without going <laughs> into the car, like they just reversed it. That one is kind of, I, I wish that one was sped up. I want that to be at like quadruple speed. So it's just like <laughs> do a little jig and there needs to be a rainbow filter over it. So it's just freaking out the whole time. <laughs> But this bums me out, and I'll tell you why this bums me out, Mike. Because I want the car to just charge wirelessly by virtue of being parked in my garage. Like, I want the floor of my garage to just radiate massive amounts of electricity, which is surely <laughs> safe, into the bottom of the car. Well, the, yeah, it's still too inefficient, and it already takes long enough to charge these cars that to do it wirelessly would take so long, I imagine. Yeah, it would have to be like, oh, this is my monthly car. I drive it once a month, and then it charges. Uh, I don't know. It's cool. I mean, people are thinking. And this is one of those things where it's like it's so convenient. Because, I mean, you got to you gotta watch this. And just the way it like goes down and then just like boop and like pokes into the charging port. Like, <laughs> it would probably take you that long to pick the cable up off the ground and do it by hand. Whereas this, you just park the car and get out and walk away and it like starts charging itself. Like that's 
that's convenient enough to deal with the creepiness, don't you think? Yeah, it's just like that's not going to be the thing that sells me on an electric car, but I'm not angry if it's included. <laughs> I'm not even mad about the creepy tentacle thing <laughs> flying around in my garage. garage. So you know what's really freaky is if you had like a a Tesla like uh like auto shop where like people brought their Teslas in to get worked on, there'd be like a bunch of these like all over the place, like charging people's cars or like at the airport. Is there going to be a line of these for the special electric car parking spaces where it's just like they're waving at you as you drive up to park your car instead of the big like inflatable man thing? <laughs> I guess that's the one thing. At least it's not very big. It looks like it's only about, I don't know, five, six feet tall. It's not huge. <laughs> I think mean, that's kind of big, but it's like it starts standing up like perfectly straight. <laughs> oh god it's so creepy okay let's move on i can't stop watching it <laughs> did you get to watch this video about the lexus hoverboard i started watching a little bit of it i saw like a, the hoverboard go off like a skating ramp and land uh, land on the other side <laughs> so yeah i guess it kind of doesn't uh it sort of arrives on the other side so the thing about this article is whoever wrote this article rob rob holland um, he gives this whole thing an incredibly fair shake because this has got to be like the third or fourth time we've seen a like real hoverboard. The future is now kind of claim. And the title is very clickbaity. The Lexus hoverboard is real and I wrote it. <laughs> but then the whole rest of the article is like, well, it only works under these like ultra specific conditions. And it's like. It's known technology, so they didn't invent anything new. They're just applying it in a creative way. And he goes on to kind of wrap the article up by saying, like, and and I think someone says this in the video, too, which is this is not the finished product that people will become familiar with and it will be like a ubiquitous thing. This is like the, 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 the Orville Redenbacher brothers – out at Kitty Hawk flying their like 12 second flight that crashed into the sand dune and like broke the plane into a million pieces. So they're very aware, like, yeah, it's really <laughs> neat and it looks really neat on film, but nobody's going to buy this. Like nobody's ever going to own yeah. this product. So I wish they'd gone with a slightly less clickbaity article title, but it's, it's really fair. And the video is cool. Cause it's, uh, the whole thing's done with, um, Oh, God, what's the term for it? It's not quantum locking. That's Bioshock. Superconductors. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's, it's superconductors. Superconductors. Superconductors? So, yeah. There's a meme in the comments of the aliens guy. Um, I, I do like in the <laughs> video, they, of course, have to have a car, presumably a Lexus, driving between the ramps as the guy ramps over on his, the skate park. No, that is surely a Saturn. <laughs> it's definitely a Saturn uh, SL1. It's very economical. <laughs> now, this is, yeah, I mean, it, the thing is, superconductors need, um, first off, they have to be absurdly cold. So the entire inside of the hoverboard is filled with, uh, f like, negative 300 degree Fahrenheit nitrogen. Okay. And you have to refill what it. What could every go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> you have to refill it every 10 minutes to keep it cold enough for the, the superconductors to work. So, you know, that's kind of a design limitation. Um, but the other thing is <laughs> they need a magnetic field to lock onto, which means 
you can't just have the entire ground be made of this magnetic <laughs> no. field because you need poles. You need a north and south pole on the the magnetic field for this to work. So I mean it it's it's pretty damn specific the situation <laughs> that this thing needs to function. But the point is yeah. it does technically work. Which is the first step to, yeah, I've got one in my garage, you know? And it's in 2015, the year it was supposed to exist. So I think oh, that's the real win here. Certainly, no matter what stage of development this was at, this was the year they had to say something, right? You can't in 2016 be <laughs> yeah. like, look, we just announced this thing. Unless it's like the on-the-shelf-ready <laughs> version. So I don't know. Do you? Would you ever, like, you don't strike me as a big skater, Michael. <laughs> Well, when I was in junior high, I really cared about skateboarding. But did you really? <laughs> not. I mean, <laughs> I you did in the way every other middle schooler does. Yeah, like I had one, and I tried to learn how to kickflip, but I never got there, <laughs> and that's about it. I heard a joke from someone sometime, which is, "Have you ever seen anyone do a kickflip? No, because no one can do a kickflip." <laughs> <laughs> Um, but this, like, if if this was a real thing, and say it was a reasonable amount of money, like, would this be even the slightest bit attractive? Uh, probably more so. Just if they actually made this work as Back to the Future advertised, what else would we be able to do with that technology? But no, I don't really see myself hopping on a hoverboard for any reason. <laughs> see, I think because I never, I never really. I mean, I pretended to skate, and that was about the extent of it. Um, I, I have a longboard that I occasionally use to uh, hang in my garage. That's like its main function is to be hung up on the wall. Um, but this is just, I mean, Back to the Future is one of my favorite move series. I actually do like third one. It's dumb, but it's fine. Don't give me that look. <laughs> but... But I, I feel like I would have, unless it was like the cost of a car, you know, if you could get one for like $1,000, I'd probably roll pennies for a few years. But that's assuming it worked the way we saw in the movie, not like this. Yeah. I think they actually joke somewhere in here that uh, this currently costs more than any car that Lexus sells. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's actually, you know... Not even feasible by those standards, so okay. I do have a lot of liquid nitrogen, so I'm ready. <laughs> You've been stockpiling just in Whether case. I need to freeze a T one thousand in a explosive tanker blow of nitrogen. Like or you do. Hoverboard. <laughs> <laughs> so if you had to choose between doing one of those things or the other, which one are you going to dedicate your stockpile of liquid nitrogen to? <laughs> well, if there is a T-1000 around, I'm going to do my part because, damn, that thing's going to kill us all. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a good guy. Because you know some people would be like, nah, dude, the hoverboard. <laughs> T-1000's chasing me. I just kind of want to hover for a bit before he <laughs> impales me with his sword arm. I want a skateboard, but not with all that friction going on. <laughs> so this trip mode thing, did you, I guess you don't, you're not a big traveler. So when I shared this with you, you were like, meh. Yeah. So yeah, it looks interesting though, that uh, basically a little bit of software that you install on your Mac that uh, you can tell it, hey, I'm uh, using mobile data, so don't kill my data plan. 
and uh, it can restrict on a per app basis on like how much data things are allowed to use. Some of these features are built into like on Android. You can just give each app a budget, can't you? Of like you're only allowed to use 100 megs. Sorry. Uh, I've never tried to set it at a per app level, but it's really easy to set globally. Yeah. Just say like, okay, at this point, warn me, and at this point, just cut it off. I guess you maybe you could do it per app, but oh god, so so much micromanaging. Yeah. And and on iOS, you can't do like budgets, like you can't give allowances to your apps, but you can just say that app is not allowed to use cellular data whatsoever on a per app basis. So you could be like, you know. I only want podcasts to download when I'm on Wi-Fi, and I just want to make sure that never happens unless I'm on Wi-Fi. You could do that. But um, your Mac doesn't really have any tools like this, and your Mac is also where you're typically syncing Dropbox or OneDrive or all these. No, it's never OneDrive, but um, <laughs> you're syncing all these things that, you know, if you've been away for a while, it could be, you know, hundreds of megabytes, gigabytes of stuff that you don't really need right now. It just happens to be syncing, and so having an app like this um, could be really useful to make sure you don't waste your bandwidth on it. I don't travel that much, so I'm in Wi-Fi 99% of the time that I'm on my Mac, and so I don't need this, but it I do think it's features that we need baked into OSs eventually. So if you let you know if you did travel more and and this was something you needed to do, would you want it to be connected to some kind of Bluetooth button? Where you could say, <laughs> I'm traveling right now, and slap the button, and then it just dials down your data usage. I want a, a long series of these buttons to identify all the situations I could be in. <laughs> I'm traveling, but I'm currently at an airport with Wi-Fi, but I'm working soon. <laughs> Maybe you could attach those buttons to your laptop and put letters and symbols on them that allow you to identify their function. Well, we're going to have way too many buttons, so maybe we should have a, an existing set of buttons that can be used for any purpose, and in different situations, you can apply them. But can you high-five them? Well, it, If not, of. I just don't see how this can work. The high-five is crucial. It really is. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is because I, I travel, I think, quite a bit more than you do for, for work related stuff. And, and I looked at this and I immediately thought, I have never actually encountered this problem. And that's not to say I never will, but I'm going to have to start encountering this problem regularly enough that I'm like, okay, I need a permanent solution because I have a dedicated mobile hotspot that I use for work. And then I also have my phone that I can tether to, which has an absurd amount of data attached to it. Not unlimited, because they don't like that anymore. But it's got quite a bit. <laughs> well, you're, do you have unlimited data on AT&T? No, we get 15 gigs split between us. And do you ever come anywhere near that? No, I've no. never gotten a warning. I mean, I used to be on 3 gigs, and occasionally I'd get the, you've used half of it, but not, never anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and this so I actually I got a call from because I'm on uh, Verizon, but my my wife Susan is on T-Mobile, and I got a call uh, from both of them in like near succession, coincidentally. And with T-Mobile, they were like, "Hey, we're just checking in, making sure you're happy with your service." And I was like, "Yeah, everything's fine. Bye." And then with Verizon, they were like, "Oh, we just wanted to ask you uh, about your mobile data usage because." you have kind of an absurd amount of data and you frequently come nowhere near using it. And I was like, well, you know, sometimes I'm traveling more than other times and I need to be, no, it's there. So 
not really going to tell you my whole life story, random telemarketing <laughs> stranger, but can I just have my freaking data, please? And I don't know exactly how stiff the penalties are with Verizon because I've just never crossed the line, but I'm kind of wondering, like, do they are, – are these carriers incentivized to encourage you to go to a lower plan so that if you go over it – they bill the hell out of you, and then they look like good guy Gregs by being like, oh, hey, dude, you want to bump up to this higher-tier data plan? <laughs> it looks like you use a lot of I don't of know. Data. I think on AT&T, on AT&T, it's like 10 bucks a gig if you go over your plan, and that's kind of a lot, but it's not It's not like horrifically frightening. Um, I wish it was just always priced per gig, like competitively between the networks, and it would just be use as much as you use and then pay $5 a gig for whatever you ended up using. And I would totally go for that. Yeah, I think, I mean, Ting does it that way. Some of these MVNOs do it that way where they're, they're charging you after you've used, whereas most cell phone contracts are actually the opposite where you're paying ahead of time for what you might use. So there's it's, and then they bill you again, like if you went over and then that's where the overage fees like come in and murder you. It's, <laughs> it just seemed there was probably a good reason that they did it that way to start with. And then I'm sure there's a lot of really crappy business reasons that they do it that way still to keep their bottom line and their expenses as far yeah. apart as humanly possible. But we have entered an age in which uh, most people have cell phones. Most people are doing things with data, whether they are consciously aware of it or not. Like someone who, who surfs the you know web on their, their smartphone that's not a techie person, they're not thinking about every single meg of mobile data, but they're still consuming it. And you know what? You could just bill them for what they use, like you said. Like, wouldn't that just be novel? <laughs> totally and i'm even like if it was actually a competitive landscape i would be totally in favor of that for home internet too for reasons of non-competition i don't want to open that pandora's box um and i think technically my comcast internet is capped i think it's 250 gigs and then they might call you and be like dude what are you doing but uh, yeah it's, it's just irritating with home internet i'm I've only occasionally looked at my usage for my home internet and it's like really high and it's probably gotten worse in the last couple of years because now that I have Netflix, sometimes I'll be doing chores and Netflix is just like on, like <laughs> I'm just clogging up the pipes with background noise basically. And like if the weather's crappy or if my daughter's sick and, and we're inside and we have like, you know, movies and cartoons and stuff streaming on Netflix and then Dropbox is syncing over there on the server and, you know, this thing's running over there. And I've gotten, I think one of the few times I checked, it was well over 300 gigs. And it's like, man, I don't even do like unusual stuff. I don't do like crazy online gaming. I'm not syncing gigantic volumes of data. And I had no problem getting into the multi hundreds of gigs. It's like people who want to do really like super fast online gaming or like with you, I know you've done some cool like multi-continental music collaboration where you're syncing giant logic project files back and forth all the time. Like that stuff, those numbers would get really big really fast. So the if they were going to do a price per gig for home internet, it would have to be a fraction 
of what they charged you for mobile. Because otherwise, the the if they you know if they're charging you ten dollars per gig on mobile, and they were like, oh, we'll just yeah. do ten dollars per gig at home. Like it'd be <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, and that's why I don't want to open the Pandora's box because I. I think what mobile carriers don't want you to realize is how much margin they have on all this. And uh, home internet's priced a little differently. And uh, I wonder the per gig price I'm paying has got to be, you know, fractions of what my cell phone is. And yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I think the uh, someone wrote an article on Medium that's all about i think they're european and they were looking at american data plans and they were like you have no idea how bad you are getting screwed on the price of data so this is someone who is comparing mobile data around the world specifically to the way it's handled in america and basically for not the greatest service not the worst but far and away not the absolute best service we are paying far and away the most money so it's like you're you know you're getting like B minus B service but you're paying like triple A dollars for the privilege that can be taken away at any time as if you were like a petulant child. So there's there's definitely this insane divide between like oh well your data came in over the airwaves well that's $100 a gig and oh it came in over a little copper wire we buried underground that's 10 cents a gig. <laughs> like it's very disparate yeah. it's and it's very impossible to regulate like that's why all this nonsense is happening so related all this data usage it looks like ios 9 is getting a feature we heard about for android recently where uh it'll detect if your wi-fi sucks and it'll like switch over to using cell data automatically and so i was happy to see this coming to ios 9 and immediately all the comments were like angry about the nuances that are or won't be there or like well i don't want it to use data or like oh blah 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 but commenters aside never read the comments um happy to see this new feature because this every every single day whenever i walk out for lunch or coffee or leave the building I basically need to either deal with the fact that there's going to be like a minute window where my phone thinks it's on a Wi-Fi that's actually completely useless to it, or I have to manually disable Wi-Fi for that minute or two till I'm far enough away from the building, and I just it's irritating. Yeah, and I think uh, when I first got an Android phone that was on L and it had this ability built in, I remember we talked about it, and... I've I left it on and it's been on all this time and it's it's not perfect. Some every once in a while it'll I'll like wake up my phone in my living room where I'm ten feet away from the router and it'll be like, Oh hey, uh how about I connect to that router? And I'm like, Why did you disconnect from that router? It's ten feet away. There's nothing between you and it. You should not have disconnected in the first place. But it's not doing anything while I'm not looking at it, so it's if it is using mobile data in those circumstances, it's a really small amount. But then, like, if I walk outside, now there's, like, a couple walls between me and the router, and it smartly disconnects. It's it's pretty good. I've, I've been pretty happy with it. I've not frequently caught myself in the, like, yes, I'm near a target, but please don't put me on the target <laughs> Wi-Fi just because there's a target in the city that I'm in. <laughs> Like stop that. So yeah. it's been it's been pretty good. I'm I'm pretty happy with it. And I'm sure Apple will reinvent it and revolutionize it and it'll be the thinnest, lightest Wi Fi detection we've ever <laughs> made and it'll be great. 
Um, the one that would always get me is a Starbucks Wi-Fi. If you have that in your saved auto join that, you know, you drive by because apparently there are a couple Starbucks out there in the world. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you have a reason to go into the business next to a Starbucks, then goodbye. Your phone thinks it's online and it totally isn't. And, uh, yeah, happy for this feature. So speaking of things that uh, Android and iOS rip off from each other, uh, there is another security catastrophe that uh, I don't think you and I have actually spoken about, but did you hear about Stage Fright? No. So I'm more concerned with the aftermath of this than the actual bug itself, but there's this bug called Stage Fright, and... Uh, that's actually the name of the software, which is funny because it's like they wrote the name expecting it to go catastrophically wrong because it's like a very media friendly, like, ah, stage fright. So you can send someone on an Android device an MMS, uh, a multimedia, is it, is the MNM multimedia, multimedia string i don't even know what the hell mms stands for you can send them a text message that has crap in it multimedia message service ah thank you google you're so good (laughs) so so you can send somebody that you know it's got malicious code in it and the problem is this uh the vast majority of android phones are susceptible and the vast majority of android phones download an mms package before you look at it. So I don't have to be in your contacts list. I can just send you this text message and you're it's going to download in all likelihood because most people don't change the defaults, right? And the real issue is that this bug actually goes back to like Froyo or Gingerbread. Like it goes way the hell back. So basically every Yikes. single Android device is susceptible. And that's a problem. But I'm actually a little bit happy for this because it's so bad that it has actually forced the OEMs to be like, okay, listen, uh, we need to patch more regularly. (laughs) So historically, if you wanted to get Android updates, pretty much your only option was a Nexus device, right? Like you had a Nexus 4, I had your Nexus 4, I've had other Nexus devices, and they're pretty good about updates. They're actually not perfect, which is kind of infuriating. But they're, they're pretty good about getting updated quickly. So this bug is so bad that uh, Samsung, LG, uh, Motorola, I think, uh, maybe one or two of the other big OEMs, actually announced publicly that they are going to commit to this monthly update schedule. So they were like, we will push security updates monthly. Even if there's no other features, if there's no other bug fixes, we're going to push these security updates monthly. So Google will you know, do their thing in Android land. They'll disseminate it to the OEMs as soon as the code is ready. And then the OEMs will, will push this stuff out every month, which would be awesome, except in the United States, we are also under the thumb of the carriers. So when I first read about this, I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is, it's, it's bad that this catastrophe had to happen to make them actually do the right thing. But Google committed to this super robust update schedule. They're going to get stuff out to the OEMs. The OEMs are committing to the super robust update schedule. The carriers haven't said anything yet. And that's worrying. 
it's worrying, but it's also completely typical and expected and not surprising. <laughs> and I was just, as you were describing all this, I'm just like, man, how long until the carriers are not part of the software stack? Because that's day one what, what Apple was able to negotiate and set in place. And yeah, occasionally, you know, they have changed features to appease carriers, like FaceTime not being available over cellular for a couple years was totally to appease the carriers. It had nothing to do with um, anything else. Um, but aside from that, like, ah, you gotta, you gotta control your software, especially for this reason. And uh, yeah, we need carriers out of the way. Well, but the thing that's always confused me about this is th- like, this is where, I mean, this is exactly like the data thing we were just talking about because if you went to any regular person, whether they know a lot about tech or not, and you said to them, hey, um, I'm going to uh, sell you this Windows computer, but it's going to come preloaded with a bunch of crap from Comcast, and uh, you can't take it off, and um, it's going to delay updates from Microsoft, so if there's like problems and things that aren't working, like Comcast has to approve it, like that would sound asinine. Like not just yep, unusual, really but, stupid. Yeah, completely <laughs> stupid, right? But with uh, with mobile, for some reason, it's like, oh, it's coming in over the airwaves. We have to control our network. And no, you don't. Uh, no, in fact, you don't because you're a plumbing company. And no matter what I flush down the toilet, you need to just deal with it because your job <laughs> is taking things over the pipe. Like that is your function. Unless I'm putting like a whole dead body down there, you basically need to just let stuff go over the pipe so (laughs) i'm hoping that we're starting to get to a place where enough people tech savvy or otherwise are security conscious and are putting this like pressure on the the carriers because this to me is the number one thing that android and google and and even the oems need to copy from apple like Copy the authority to update your own freaking device. And not in like the hacker DIY, like if you can't open it, you don't own it. Like I support all that stuff, but we can't even get there until I can get like a freaking security patch from the people who make the software without the approval of the giant red check mark in the sky. Yeah, especially the stuff that uh that doesn't affect the the mobile like it's it's not new carrier settings for how your phone talks to the towers it's like no these are just software platform features or security patches in this situation and that should have nothing to do with AT&T and Verizon like you said they're just a plumbing company and <laughs> your phones are shitting things into the plumbing <laughs> company and <laughs> they just need to deal with it <laughs> And in, in this case, shit wants to come down to your phone. I'm giving you these edit points on purpose. <laughs> so I do wonder, like, is there any is there any benefit to exer- Like, if I'm Verizon, why do I want this level of authority? Like, I probably, if I'm Verizon, I have to have all this machinery in place so that when Samsung wants to push an update, I have to, like, have a way to review it and, like, have people on staff that understand and give a crap? Like, why do I want to do that? What's the benefit? Other than just, like, a psychotic locus of control. Like, what's the actual benefit to Verizon? Is there one? There there has to be some mentality, like, 
whether it's an old IT mentality of like, don't touch it, it'll fall down and break, <laughs> instead of realizing you're in a world where stuff is always breaking and you need to go through stuff breaking to set up stronger things. Um, I don't know, like if there's a lot of that in their back end, in their, in their infrastructure where they're like, uh, if we control the phones really well, we can make sure they never do anything that challenges our infrastructure and makes us look bad. Um, I think that's why I brought up the FaceTime example where Apple, they didn't give software control over to AT&T, but they agreed to limit one of their features for the carrier. See, but uh, that seems like a reasonable discussion to have where Verizon or AT&T or Sprint or whoever has Sprint. So whoever, (laughs) whoever, you know, whatever carrier can say, listen, these are the general rules you have to follow. But we're not literally going to proofread and 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 peer review all of your code. Like we're we're telling you don't do these things. And then if we we have ways to tell if you're breaking those rules, then we will come after you. But until you are shown to be in violation, we're not going to check you every single step of the way. And the the counterpoint to this is, again, assuming that I'm Verizon, I don't want to be responsible for giant security flaws being exploited on my network, right? Like, I want Samsung and LG and Google and all the, the OEMs to be able to keep their stuff as secure and locked down as possible because they have a really obvious incentive, and I, as Verizon have a pretty obvious incentive. Like, I don't want my network creating an army of robots that are sending spam and porn and deleting people's files and doing other <laughs> malicious things because then I'm yeah. not culpable but involved in the hate, right? Like, I'm part of the problem. And since I can't think of any good reasons other than, you know, your your old IT example to be a gatekeeper, they're kind of being evil, like, by negligence (laughs) which is not good yeah and i i really do want this in the hands of google and or the the phone manufacturers because they have a direct vested interest in their customers wanting to trust them and want to buy another phone from them in the future whereas verizon or at&t can probably get away with like well, sorry, your phone, you know, someone stole all your bank data, but that we're just the network. So, um, <laughs> you know, like, you know, anyone that tried to explain, well, actually, the carriers were slowing down the upgrade process, which is part of why you got hacked. Sorry. And um, right. th- no one's ever going to be like, well, AT&T is the reason this happened, even though they are the reason this happens. <laughs> so do you think uh, another thing we can kind of thank Apple for is, it's pretty obvious that people want to update their stuff in terms of like their toys, right? Like if I have an iPhone six and then the six plus comes out or the, sorry, the six S plus <laughs> 2000 pro edition. I don't know. Um, if the next version comes out suddenly, what I have is not the cool version. It's the old version. So I want the new cool version. So anyone who's of the mindset of like, well, if we allow people to update the software on their phone, their phone will continue to be useful and they won't buy a new phone. Uh, I think we have now seven, eight years of evidence that that's not the case. People will continue to buy new devices that they don't need 
that are not noticeably better because they don't do things that require this newer, faster hardware. And they, if they can still get software on the old thing, they'll still buy the new thing because humans are dumb and impulsive. <laughs> so, so I don't like the kind of person who's still rocking an iPhone 4S like today, right now. If they were not allowed to update iOS, that would not be the thing that pushed them over the edge. It's just, it's not. It's just not, right? And some of them haven't even updated iOS. <laughs> yeah, if because they still have to plug it into iTunes on their Windows PC, on, on their XP <laughs> yeah. machine. So, yeah, there's that. And then on the Android side, Android has even more of like a Toy Boy association with it than the iPhone does, where we, you know, Android people tend to be more like spec hungry, where it's like, I don't care if anyone knows that I have the newest phone. I want to know that I have the newest phone. I don't want two and a half gigs of RAM. I want three gigs of RAM. I don't want an 810 processor. I want the <laughs> 880 processor. Like, that's, so you know, whether it's I'm buying a new thing because it's shiny or I'm buying a new thing because it's got the, the fastest silicon in it. Like, we know that people want to buy new things. So there's not even that incentive of like, well, people won't update their phone if they can get the newest software. Yes. Yes, they will. We have tons of evidence to prove that they will. And even from other markets, people who buy a 2015 Mustang when there's nothing wrong with their 2013 Mustang, but the 2015 Mustang has a different colored Mustang on the badge. Like people do stupid crap like that <laughs> all the time. So I, I don't know. There's, I would love to sit down with like a, a carrier executive and just be like, please explain this to me. Please bring me into the loop. Like, and if you can't, then I need you to stop. Like if there's really no good reason to do this, then just, just stop. Please stop. Stop. <laughs> that was a, I got surprisingly <laughs> passionate about that toward the middle. I appreciate you sitting through that. <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn Verizon. Their service is pretty good, though. But they still <laughs> suck. <laughs> the, yeah. They're like a pretty person that's an awful person in every other level, and you're like, well, no, that's not acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're a good person and ugly... But society's going to give them a free pass for being a terrible person because they, they are a pretty person. Yep. Yeah, they're the celebrity with all the friends, even though they're like huge jerk and... Yeah, it's I think the 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 sea change is happening. It's just really slow <laughs> and it's frustrating whenever a good thing takes a long time to happen, but it's always exponentially more frustrating in technology because we're used to things that can change so fast, right? Like your software could be updated right now, right? Like Google Drive yeah. could have a totally different upgraded interface right now because it takes them seconds to push the bits across the wire. So whenever it's like, oh, we have to get a committee together and we got to decide if we're going to let them push these updates, you're just like, stop it, assholes. Like, yeah. just let them do it. Like, it's fine. You ever have that feeling whenever like a tech company says, you know, Especially these big monolithic ones, it seems to happen more often where they're like, yeah, we, this feature everyone wants, we're expecting to roll it out in, uh, you know, quarter three, 2017. And you're just like, oh, <laughs> ship it now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the web has spoiled tech people for 
updates. Like, I don't know what version of Gmail I'm on because Gmail's versionless. It's always on the Gmailiest version of Gmail. And now when I do use desktop software, I expect, I know that they have to update it separately because it's a native app and they have to push an update to my machine specifically because I'm not accessing their servers. But when they they push that out, I expect lots of small updates, not like I had Office 2010 and now I have Office 2015 and it's like freaking out because everything is different. The whole thing is this giant, massive, like two gig download. Like, yeah, no more of that. Small, frequent updates, whether it's on the web or native is is the better way. Like everyone agrees it's the better way, except crazy old school tech centralized people who want to control everything who cares what they think (laughs) all right i'm tired you're tired i think we said it all you want to take us out (laughs) yeah i'll take us out so you can find show notes to this episode at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 79 we'll have links to these articles including the snake car charger and the high five satan button and uh, we also uh, want to invite some good feedback. Uh, we're both on Twitter. We live online. I'm sure we'll reply very quickly. So if you have any questions or comments or want to suggest a new topic for next episode, um, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Medwards Music and Lions. You are at Lions in Beta. Yes. And uh, while you're on our website, um, you might as well subscribe to our show so that you get new episodes automatically in your favorite podcast app. Um, if you use the iTunes button or RSS button on our site, um, from your phone, it, uh, it'll pop over to a podcast app. If you have one installed, if you need suggestions, um, you could use overcast.fm on iOS or you could use podcast addict or, uh, what's Pocket the other cast. one? Pocket, Pocket cast. cast, which we is also this- on the web now. And it's awesome. Yeah, we say this every single time, and I forget one of them every single time. Um, <laughs> if you'd like to support us directly, you can head to our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash sunriserobot, and uh, any any dollars you send our way will help us improve the quality of our shows and uh, get us thinking about even creating new stuff, um, new shows, and, and so forth. We want to give some special thanks to our top Patreon supporters, Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, and Andreas Longa. We love you guys so much all right we'll see you next week see you next week